Blog Talk Radio.
that they they got exposed in the end because Duke found a way to hit the three. And that is why I think Duke is the best team in the ACC. I'm one to believe, and I wasn't like this early on in the season, that Duke has the player of the year in the country, that Duke has a dynamic enough backcourt that it doesn't rely on any one guy in their backcourt to get it done for them. If you're Virginia, you need each guy to fit in their role, Parenta, to be able to deal out assists and to be able to you know, give you a little something. He didn't necessarily do that in the points. He actually did not play tonight, uh, Parenta's, but you're going to need somebody like him to deliver. And you're going to need you need all hands on deck in the scoring category. And that, that's my biggest thing. And I know Parenta's you know, a player like him, certainly the broken nose, uh, a day-to-day guy, but when he comes back, uh, they, they need him to, to fit that role. They do. They need each guy, and he's just one example of many. And I look at with Virginia, and I get concerned with them because, like I said, Duke all of a sudden began to hit the three. And in no way is that that one loss. I mean, if that's your one loss, certainly you're you're going to have to – you're going to take that. There's not a, a team that, you know, has a better resume you know, outside of Kentucky. But I look at the Blue Devils, and I just – I take them at the end of the day. I think – I know it took an escape job tonight, but there's something about this team and the way that it, it really figures out a way to not need any one guy to get it done for them uh, in the backcourt that, for me – I look at the way Okafor is playing. I, I don't think, you know, and, and it would be interesting to see Duke play Kentucky. Um, Duke has issues defending the lane. That's a big issue. And a big issue for Duke is, is can Julio Okafor make free throws? Right now that is a, a major, major concern because he has not been able to do that. But I look at the, this ACC right now. And some of your headlines, certainly, uh, Parentis Day and Day for Virginia, but the Cavaliers absolutely rolled right through Wake Forest tonight. Duke, uh, this is a team that escaped tonight, but I, I do still think that the Blue Devils will be a one seed. And I, I take a look at the ACC as well, and I look at Louisville, and I get concerned with Chris Jones being gone. Means that Terry Rozier, a sophomore, who I remind you in his freshman season, you know, Rick Patino put that style, that Patino way, on Rozier. He didn't play him a ton, didn't use him a ton, and as a result, now Rozier is a sophomore. Now, without Jones, he's got to take even more of the weight. This job, Notre Dame. Look, out of the top ten teams, I would say Notre Dame is the one that you know if they're on the. They slide in the two line. I think they'll be on the three line in the NCAA tournament. I get concerned about the Fighting Irish if they don't get the right draw. This is the type of team, if they're not shooting the ball well from the perimeter, I get deeply, deeply concerned. I don't think there's a top ten team that I get more concerned about in terms of perimeter shooting than I do if Notre Dame is cold from the perimeter. A team that things don't match up right for them, you just never know. Let's welcome in Ricky O'Donnell. He is from SB Nation, covers college basketball day in and day out all across the country for SBNation.com. Ricky, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I start with this. The question 
but I'm trying to answer is who is the best team in the ACC at the end of the day. And, Ricky, Duke just escaped tonight. Uh, Virginia made Wake Forest look silly. But at the end of the day, when these two teams, uh, it would be nice to see them in an ACC tournament final. When they do battle, uh, who are you taking? I guess the first question you have to ask is, is Justin Henderson going to be in the lineup for Virginia? Because we've seen Virginia still go undefeated without Anderson uh, as he's been out. But he is their best player. Uh, I think he's their best player on both sides of the floor, to be honest, offensively and defensively. There's a reason that Anderson is really the only legit NBA prospect on Virginia for as good as that team is. Uh, And it's because he just has such great size. He's been able to make – a ton of three-pointers this year, which is the biggest improvement in his game, and he's a tremendous athlete. So when they have Justin Anderson on the floor, I'll take Virginia over Duke, I think, because the defense is, just makes it a one-sided argument to me. Uh, we saw this story last year with Duke when they had the star freshman score from Chicago. Last year it was Jabari Parker, and this year it's Julia Locafor. While Duke's defense has improved from last season's team, they're still pretty vulnerable on that end of the floor, I think. Uh, and in large part, it's because Okafor's defense really isn't that great. Ricky O'Donnell joining us from SB Nation covers college basketball. This is Late Night Hoops on College Hoops Digest Radio. Ricky, look, Duke took that first matchup. And it required them in the end to be able to hit from the perimeter. I mean, I think one of the strengths, though, is you know what, as much as they rely on Julia Locafort to do things for them down low, they absolutely need that kid when he's on the floor at uh, the beginning of the same down low because their front court isn't exactly deep. I think one of the things that this team benefits from, even losing Rashid Suleiman here in the middle of the season, is the fact that they do have so much backcourt versatility and they, they do have a couple of tough matchups, Justice, Justin Winslow for one. I mean, you take a look at this team and it's tough because Virginia's got the best defense in America. They seriously do. But I look at a team like Duke, and you know, they can match up with you in a, in a couple of different ways. They they don't need a, a, a solid, even good defensive performance to necessarily win. They didn't need one tonight. They didn't play all that well. But with guys like Dustin Winslow, with guys like Tyus Jones, it indicates to me that, that Duke can pose bigger matchup issues than, than Virginia can. Uh, purely because this backcourt has so many scoring options. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Virginia, or Duke, I should say, has the ultimate matchup issue in Okafor. You saw it today. People weren't sure if he was going to be able to walk, and he ends up scoring 30 points. Virginia Tech is not a good team. They are 2-15 and 15 now in the ACC, I believe. Uh, they didn't have anyone who could check Okafor whatsoever. Uh, he's the biggest matchup problem in the country. Uh, I do think that Duke is going to have to – learn how to get some stops if they're going to be competing uh, deep in March, though. I think this team's better than last year because there has been some sizable defensive improvement. Like, right now in the Ken Palm standings, Duke is 60th in defense. Last year they were 116, so that's a pretty big deal. The offense was number two last year. It's number two this year. Obviously, Duke's going to try to outscore you. They're going to space the, They're going to spread the floor with shooters. They're going to be speeding Okafor inside, so... I think that Duke has the profile of a team that could certainly reach the Final Four, but I also wouldn't be terribly shocked if they're another uh, if this is another year where Duke gets upset and the rest of the universe celebrates. Ricky O'Donnell joining us from SB Nation, and Ricky, one of those ACC teams that not like Duke and Virginia, two teams who could be Final Four, but a team that you know could could make a deep run, but. 
I don't see it necessarily. I, I'm one to believe that this team, they're in a bit of trouble right now. It's Louisville. How concerned should Louisville fans be? Yeah, I'd be pretty concerned if uh, I was a Louisville fan right now. You know, Louisville and North Carolina have a similar problem where they just don't have any shooting. Uh, Louisville needs Wayne Blackshear to be hitting shots. If you know any Louisville fans, you know that Blackshear has sort of been a very polarizing figure since he's been on campus there. Uh, He'll show up one game, he won't show up the next. Blackshear's had a pretty good career, but now they're just really reliant on him to hit some three-pointers to stretch the floor for them a little bit because without Chris Jones, who was – who was certainly a flawed player. Jones was a great perimeter defender. He wasn't a great scorer, but uh, within what Rick Pitino had to work with on Louisville, Chris Jones was probably his number three option offensively. He was unquestionably his number three option offensively. And the drop-off beyond that for Louisville has been pretty stark. So, yeah, Louisville's been such a good team in the tournament, uh, you know, the last three or four years, but it does seem like this probably this team doesn't have the makeup to uh, to make a deep run in the tournament. We'll see, though. Marky O'Donnell joining us from SBA. This is Late Night Hoops on College Hoops Digest Radio. I think the most disappointing loss tonight for a team that you look at it in the pack, in the Big 12, rather, um, a team that, you know, could have still been on track to get something done. Uh, they could have had a shot to really uh, take over that top seed in the Big 12 and and get over the hump that is Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks. And tonight, they lose. Uh, they lose to Baylor 79-70. to It's Iowa State. And it seems like when Iowa State gets a big chance to really get rolling and potentially take down that monster that is Kansas, after Kansas loses to Kansas State this week, Ricky, what is it? Why can't Iowa State really stay on that same track this time of year? you got to – get that home win over Baylor they couldn't get it done yeah now Baylor is not a bad team uh let's remember the Baylor yeah never said they were pretty much yeah Baylor's pretty much overachieved this season uh I think a lot of the Scott Drew haters have sort of been uh served this year to a certain extent (laughs) because Baylor's played pretty well this year I kind of like Iowa State going deep in the tournament though uh I think that they, they they do have the potential to you know make a run to the the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four, if only because of uh, McKay. Jameel McKay is a type of player who they just haven't had there at Iowa State before. Typically, Hoiberg's playing with a lineup where everyone's, you know, 6'8 and under. He has no natural shot blocker, no rim protector, not a big presence defensively on the interior. But McKay is a guy who became eligible in the second semester of this season. And he's been really terrific for him. He was great tonight. I think he had five or six dunks, uh, he was all over the court. So he's the type of player that Hoiberg just hasn't had at Iowa State before. I think that that could be the one uh, ingredient that, you know, pushes the team over the top. Dustin Hogue had a rough performance. They only played 13 minutes. He had three turnovers in the first four minutes of the second half. They need better from him. That's certainly true. Yeah, you know, Virginia, or Iowa State's always been a team where it seems like everyone is counted on to carry their load. Uh, Niang is probably the biggest star on that team, but it's typically yeah. going to be a balanced scoring effort between Niang, uh, Bryce Jones, Monte Morris, Nas Long, like you said, Hogue. All those guys have to carry their own weight to a certain extent. So, I mean, Hogue's had a, he's had a pretty nice career at Iowa State, certainly. 
everyone has some down nights. Uh, but I think that, you know, Iowa State's going to need him to produce in the postseason if they're going to make a run. The kid is shooting 60, almost 65% with his E field goal percentage this year. That's pretty ridiculous. So I think he's a good player, but uh, as you said, Iowa State's going to need everyone to uh, be carrying their weight in the tournament. Ricky O'Donnell joining us from SBNation.com covers college basketball. He's here on with us on Late Night Hoops. Coming up to wrap up the show, we welcome in Jaden Daly briefly to talk about some of those bracket busters. Be on the lookout from tournament time. And uh, Ricky, I, I look around the country at, at some of the headliners, and I look at a conference like the SEC. And I don't think they're getting enough credit uh, beyond Kentucky. Uh, not many people really knew what this conference would do this year. It'd probably be a three or four bid league. Joel Lenardi has this is a six bid league right now, and you know there's a couple of teams that you really have to like. It's Arkansas, Texas A&M. How about the LSU Tigers and what they've done? Right now they're slated to be in an eight nine uh, matchup. And when when you take a look at LSU, they now have won two in a row. They did have a loss to Texas A&M, who's slated to be another uh, tournament team. But LSU twenty and eight, nine and six in the SEC. Everybody thought. With your recruiting class, LSU, it, it's going to be next year. It's going to be the future uh, for you that, that is bright. But you know what? This year, between the play of guys like Jarrell Martin as well as Jordan Mickey, this team all of a sudden is one that's turning bound and, and could be really a, a factor in the NCAA tournament. But overall, a good year for the SEC. Yeah, I think you uh, you really hit the nail on the head there. Martin is the guy who really impresses me. You saw what he did against Kentucky, and you have to be a serious basketball player if you're putting up, you know, 20 points, <laughs> 10 rebounds, I believe he had, against Willie Cauley-Stein and Carl Towns. Those are that's yeah. probably the best front court college basketball I've seen since Al Horford and Joe Kim Noah were running around in Gainesville uh, in the middle of the last decade, so... I'm all about Martin. Mickey's a terrific shot blocker. He's another kid who may be a potential NBA player. He's a little undersized for the league, I guess, but a terrific rim protector at the college level. Uh, And like you said, if those two guys come back next year, joining Ben Simmons, joining Antonio Blakeney, wow, I mean, that could theoretically be a team next season that's better than Kentucky because who who knows what's going to happen next. Kentucky's roster over the next year. Yeah. I guess we don't need to focus on the 2016 tournament quite yet, but certainly LSU's been a big surprise this year, and I think they're set up for success in the future as well. Ricky O'Donnell joining us from SB Nation. Ricky, do you think the SEC is a is a league that, you know, uh, Kentucky, the, the clear winner here, I mean, it's hard to – you put them in any league, and <laughs> that's going to be the case, but are they worthy of having six bids? Do you like that league? Yeah, I mean, I I think that they probably are. Arkansas is a team that I think could give a lot of people some trouble in the tournament with the way they play defense. Bobby Portis might be the most underrated player in the country. He's sort of shown off a nice shooting stroke lately. He's just a big dude, 6'11". He runs the floor extremely well. So when you have a player like that, Arkansas is just going to be a tough out because they're a matchup problem. A&M is another, Texas A&M is another team that I think everyone was circling next year for them. They have a huge four-man recruiting class coming in uh, for Kennedy next season. But, you know, they've been pretty solid again this year. Uh, Daniel House, the transfer from Houston, has been terrific for them. He's been every bit as good as Deshaun Thomas has been for Oklahoma. So 
uh, you know, if if you're talking about of the league in general, you look at the Kempom standings, and that list, the SEC, is the fifth strongest league. Uh, it would go Big 12, Big East, ACC, Big 10, and then the SEC. So I think the SEC has been pretty solid. Uh, but, of course, it all starts at the top with Kentucky, who's going to enter the tournament as the outside favorite. Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation joining us. And, Ricky, another league to look at that some of the national bracket talents out there, you've got eight teams from the Big Ten. Now, I don't know. I'm not one to believe that the Big Ten is worthy of, of that many bids. I think it's a league that, once again, you've had a lot of teams beat each other up. And, and as a result, it's become a bit of a mysterious league. Uh, Illinois losing by eight to Iowa tonight. I'm going to believe Illinois is on, on the downward slope and would bump them out right now. Uh, what do you make of the Big Ten this year? Because not as many high-profile teams. Yeah, I, I live in Chicago, so I know a good uh, a good deal about Illinois. That team really took off when their leading scorer, Ravante Rice, was out via injury, via suspension, uh, as well. Those two things sort of coincided. Illinois needs to win that game against Purdue if they have a chance at making it into the NCAA tournament, or they need to go on a big run in the conference tournament. This loss to Iowa tonight was certainly a huge blow for them. Uh, that makes it three losses in a row. And I, I don't know if you're a, if you're an NBA fan as well or not, but I look at Rice as someone who reminds me a lot of Rudy Gay in the NBA, where he's wow. a good player, he can put up big numbers, uh, but he uses a lot of possession to get those numbers. And I think Illinois was sort of at its best when they had the two sophomores, Malcolm Hill and Kendrick Nunn, uh, be the two guys who were using the majority of the offensive possessions. That's when the team was really having fun, and they looked like sort of a cool upstart team for Illinois. Uh, Rice is certainly a good player. I don't want to disparage him at all, but, you know, he's a volume scorer. And with that, uh, that comes at, uh, you know, the fault of some other guys getting some opportunities. So, if you're talking about the strength of the Big Ten as a whole, I think Illinois is one of those teams that's going to be right there on the bubble. And, you know, are they in today? Are they out? I think that you would get, you know, ten different – you would get a bunch of different answers, uh, you know, if you ask ten people. So that will be a team to watch as the season uh, comes to the finish line. Ricky, thanks so much for your time. Where can we find all your work? You can find it at SBNation.com on the College Basketball Hub, also the NBA Hub. We'll do it again. Thanks, Ricky. Yep, thanks. Ricky O'Donnell from SBNation.com, and we move right along now on the hotline to welcoming in Jaden Daly. Jaden here to talk about, well, a couple of showdowns that you may not know about because a bit lesser-known teams out there, but you better know about. And we start, Jaden, and it's always good to have you on. I want to get going right away, though. Manhattan and Iona on Friday night. It's like your Super Bowl Part Two. Iona, how about what the Gales have done? 23-6 and six overall, 16-2. and two. They've locked up the Mac. Jaden, can anybody, and if so, can anybody end up giving Iona trouble in the Mac tournament? And if so, who, who is it? Well, for one, John, you're looking at the Manhattan team that's going to play them again Friday night. There's no love lost between those two, but the respect in that rivalry is very mutual. I like to compare it 
to the Mark McGuire Sammy Sosa home run chase in 1998, where it was a friendly rivalry, even though both teams, both players were after the same thing. It's kind of like that in the back. Steve Massiello and Tim Cruz have a, a deep mutual respect for one another, and they're all after the same goal. If Manhattan doesn't give Iona a fit, this is a team that will at its spot. But King Rice almost pulled off the upset on Sunday in New Rochelle, had a 16-point lead at one point, but Iona came back. They needed a last-second shot to rim out just to seal up a victory against Monmouth. If those two teams play again in opening in the MAC tournament, John, I'm not putting it past the Hawks to get by Iona. They beat them in December at on their home floor in New Jersey. They definitely can do it again. Jaden Daly joining us from DailyDoseHoops.com. Another team that not many know about that really need to know about in the country. Uh, we know about them in this area, but the St. Francis Brooklyn Terriers, led by Jalen Cannon, who's averaging 16.7 points and 10.3 rebounds per game. The Terriers have locked up the NEC regular season title. Now the conference tournament will be awaiting us soon. Jalen, uh, what do you know about St. Francis? What can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that I spent four years doing play-by-play at St. Francis, and I've seen Jalen Cannon, and I've seen Brent Jones grow before my eyes in the broadcast booth and develop into class players in the NEC, two of the best players in the league, heck, two of the best players in the New York metropolitan area. So I know a lot about the Terriers. Glenn Brake deserves every last drop of success that he's getting. That's a team that's built the right way made up with a very humble and hard-working blue-collar identity. I hope they go far in the tournament. I don't know if they will. Break his own four in the NEC tournament. He still has proof to me that he can win a game in March. They're going to be at LIU Brooklyn tomorrow night. Their cross-town rival, I'll be there. Jalen Cannon only needs 22 points, John, to become the all-time leading scorer in St. Francis history, just so you know. Another big showdown on Friday. Cleveland. Yes, Cleveland. It's in the Horizon League, one of the more under-the-radar leagues in the country. It features Cleveland State, the Vikings under Gary Waters, and he has done a very nice job there. They will play host to first-place Valparaiso. Now, CSU took down Valpo earlier this season, but you know what? These are two a well-run programs. You take a look at what Valparaiso's done, and uh, this is a team that, how about this? They're now coming off of a loss. A loss to Detroit. They're going to be looking to bounce back from a loss at the hands of Detroit, taking on Cleveland State, which now makes this a first-place showdown, and CSU owns the tiebreaker. Uh, What do you know about the horizon, Jaden? Well, from watching casually from before and after Butler was the lead, I know it reminds me of a mid-major Missouri Valley, so to speak. It's a lesser-scale version of the Valley where you have knockdown, drag-out battles, Teams in the horizon are known for their defense. I wanted to see Cleveland State open the season at Iona in November. I had a broadcasting commitment that precluded me from going up there, so I didn't get to see them. But I know Iona had a very hard time surviving them. They only won, I think, by five yeah. points. That one, if memory serves me correctly, back on November 14th. Valpo is Valpo. You know what Bryce Drew can do, taking over from where his father Homer left off. I think Bryce Drew is in the mix for a a mid-major or even a high-major job if some, some Big Ten program cuts ties with somebody. Not only should he get a look, he deserves a look. Valpo, 65. That's their RPI. Cleveland State wow. beyond 120. The, the Vikings are at 17-12 overall. But Valparaiso, 
a team to watch led by Alec Peters with 17.6.7 boards per game. They did lose to Detroit. Now they got to go to the Wolfstein Center at 10 o'clock showing on a Friday night. And I know back in my hometown, that should be an interesting one that will have people uh, pique their interest. It's always good to have a little college basketball scenery in Cleveland where they're hosting the Sweet 16 this year, and it's been a good host in the past. we got less than two minutes to go here in the show. And, Jaden, you take a look. We had Ricky O'Donnell on, and we talked a little bit about some bracketology. But you take a look at some of those teams on the bubble. One in the A-10 is Davidson. They got a one-point win, though, tonight over Rhode Island. Uh, what do you think about the Atlantic 10, and would you put Davidson in the field? Or what about Rhode I think, Island? I think Davidson has to prove to me that they can get a big win on a neutral site. Nothing against Bob McKillop, but the schedule's been a, a little soft for my liking. Rhode Island's got the win over Nebraska, but that's that's not doing them a lot of good now because of how the Huskers have dropped off. But you can never bet against Dan Hurley. I think the A-10 is going to get at least one, maybe two teams outside of VCU and Dayton into the field. I think if you want to look at bubble teams, Sean, you got to take a look at Xavier. And, yes, it will be Rhode Island. They're at LaSalle this Saturday at Dayton next week. That's an opportunity for them. We shall see how they handle it. Jaden Daly, we can find you at DailyDoseHoops.com. What games will you be at this weekend, briefly? LIU St. Francis tomorrow, Manhattan, Iona Friday. Hopefully St. John's Georgetown on Sunday. Saturday, rather. Saturday, big show down at the Garden. you have a pick for that one, St. John's or Georgetown? Uh, my head says the Hoyas. My heart says the Red Storm. <laughs> I know how much you love that one, Jaden. Jaden Daly from DailyDoseTheHoops.com. Go to CollegeHoopsDigest.com for all the latest in college basketball. Thanks to Ricky O'Donnell and Jaden Daly for joining the show. I'm John Fanta for all of us at CHD. Good night, everybody. See ya.